Blog Talk Radio. Great joy and good afternoon, my friend. The Nepalese meditation bowl is chiming, centering your mind and delight on the art of the CEO. The show that brings you the most fascinating and, well, really the most helpful leaders in the business community from all over our terrestrial orb. I am Bart Jackson, your Hieronymus Bosch of business. And this very day, we are going to talk about you, Mr. or Ms. Executive, how you can most effectively know what you need to know, how to manage groups of people, design a profitable task, get everyone accomplishing it, keep the business running. There's absolutely nothing nothing cookie cutter about being an executive. There's no recipe or, uh, that works. Your jobs are really far too complex and often too profound for any off-the-rack solutions. Now, you know that. And our guest today... Mr. Jamie Miller knows that because he's not only experienced your plight, he he has several of what I'm deeming some of the best ways to seize all that vital information that you need on the fly, in a fun way, and to put it to work. We're talking, my friend, about shared experience. We're talking about meetings with peers who face challenges akin to yours and who are going through the same things similar right now, and about you taking that leap into trust and sharing your ideas. Yes, my friend Jamie Miller is talking about peer networks, and since he is the founding president of Skybridge Associates, who makes them up magnificently, he truly knows how to build the cleverly engineered groups of people, those those nests of value, where you can learn how to grow a better business and also a better you. And as a little bonus for you, just uh, some proof that no gentleman of brilliance offers info from just out of one box, Jamie also has served as the director of admissions for Harvard's MBA school. And so we're going to put in a little bonus and add... Uh, well, we're going to weigh the value of the MBA in your own career journey. So whether you are a teacher of autistic students wondering whether you should grab some further education and step out on your own like Denise, or you're a former uh, large firm CEO desperately seeking pathways as you begin to build a multi-corporation conglomerate like Mark, pull up your chair a little closer and join us in this feast of wisdom all carefully cuisined to make your career thrive and your adventures flourish. Jamie, I personally want to thank you for coming by and sharing your insights on peer grouping and, frankly, for reinforcing my own belief that all business is personal. Well, it's uh, it's a real pleasure. And, and Bart, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to checking the art of the CEO off my bucket list. Ah, okay. Thank you very much. Jamie, we... Uh, before we, we do want to get into your peer grouping uh, systems that you have done so originally with Skybridge, but I'd like to just back up for a second on our learning curve. You, uh, as we said, were previously director of admissions for Harvard's MBA program. You saw the students, you saw the benefits, and putting all the joke, MBA jokes aside, wh- uh, what were the students getting out of a Harvard MBA? What, what was the real value that you saw? Well, I think there was a ton of value, and I say this both as the head of, M- of uh, the director of MBA admissions, uh, but also as, a, as an alumnus. You know, I, I actually had had done my own MBA there uh, before I, I worked in the school, and I think that the value is really in in a few ways. The first is 
putting yourself, in, at least at a school like Harvard, which really, uh, I think, pioneered the case method and continues to use that as the, as the primary method of instruction, uh, it's a way mm. to really throw yourself into a real-life situation. You know, there wasn't a lot of theory. There wasn't a lot of, of checklists and formulas. You know, I think as, as anyone on the, uh, that's listening knows, you, know, you can't distill management down to a simple formula. Uh, so it was really you know, looking at management situations with all of their complexity and, and really trying to uh, imagine what you would do if you were in the executive shoes. And I think that, so that, so that I, I think it did two things. I think it gave, uh, and, it, and there's a bit of a paradox. I think on the one hand, it, it gave us confidence in our ability to actually deal with those in the real world. I think it also gave a certain amount of humility where you realize that very few difficult situations have perfect outcomes, have perfect answers, and you're always making trade-offs. Yeah. So I think that, that combination of confidence and humility um, is in a group of peers, right? People who are relatively early in their career, I think the majority of the students are in their mid to late 20s, uh, was really very powerful. You know, everybody had some work experience, so it wasn't speaking, you know, kind of purely out of, out of academic knowledge. There's some real-world grounding. But, but again, I think it was a really powerful and, uh, experience. And, and, you know, being full-time uh, was a big part of certainly the Harvard program as well. I know that lots of people do oh, part-time truly. MBAs. Uh, but I think being in a full-time program where you're truly immersed, uh, you know, doing case study, oftentimes with the professors who wrote the cases, I think is, is really, you know, yeah. I felt personally very privileged to have, have had that experience and was more than happy to be the kind of the chief marketer and sales uh, once I graduated. <laughs> well, I think it's I think it's great that that, uh, that you got out of it, and and you have just said the idea of the the case idea, and that you're really saying that what this was was you were dumped into uh, real real life situations, and also a, a peer pool of of eager business folks, as you said, who had some uh, some skills already and uh, various skills. Uh, so let me just ask, uh, now, today, when this year, when 104,000 MBAs are going to be conferred and so forth, uh, is it, uh, is it worth my, uh, even if I've been in business for a while, is it worth my, um, investment of time and money to get that MBA? So I think there's a few ways to, really to answer that question. You know, the, the first, it, there, and there was a study done. This was, you know, again, I, I was I was at Harvard, gosh, probably 12, you know, 15, 20 years ago uh, when I when I was in this role. So it's been a while. I know at the time someone had done sure. an economic analysis that that looked at the I think the top 10 MBA programs and concluded that those right. programs did have a positive return on investment. Um, Frankly, most of the rest didn't. So, if you're looking at your 104,000 uh, on a on a, a purely economic return on investment, I think that it may not pay off uh, for everybody. I think I think where it becomes interesting is in cases a lot of people will do an MBA because they want to make a career change, um, and it's less oh, about yeah, the money true. and more about opportunity. Right? We only have we only have one life, <laughs> and you know if you want yeah, to, right. to uh-huh. be in a role and you and you just you need the the sort of the credibility and you know you need to, to kind of create an inflection point in your life, I think it can be a very powerful way to do that uh, and to create opportunities, which, you know, you can't boil it all down to dollars and cents. Uh, but no, I think there is something. But I do trend. think you, you know, you have said something, and that is that it uh, it does help you make a career change. I personally, just as from my own devil's advocate point of view, I hate to see people who, uh, who turn their life into a resume punch. And so I, I you're right. I think it's, it's a thoughtful thoughtful and individual choice. It really is. And if you've just joined us, I'm sorry, you're saying? 
No, I said it really is. I agree. It's it, it's absolutely, and everybody does it for a different reason. Uh, but I, I think for, yeah. for many people, it's it's a valuable uh, valuable thing to do. Well, I think so. And if you've just joined us, you're listening to The Art of the CEO, which every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time streams magically through the immensely confusing enigma of cyberspace, where you may listen and download this show by visiting theartoftheceo.com. That's theartoftheceo.com. We are on live stations and a whole number of Internet streams. But the best way to hear all the shows and the one you want is theartoftheceo.com. Now, Jamie, one, uh, moving on with the whole idea of getting together and, and uh, peer grouping, one of the things that markedly distinguishes uh, your new book, Building Bridges, the Case for Executive Peer Networks, is that you've actually examined what needs to be done to run a business before you – it's a great approach. You, that's, you step back and say, what's the need? And – Mr. Miller tells us that build that business leadership involves both complex and complicated challenges, and this is something. This is a, an idea that's too rarely recognized. Uh, it's uh, could you define uh, a complicate a complex versus complica- complicated challenges for us? Sure. So I, I think the best way to distinguish between the two is that a complicated problem is one that is the domain of experts. It's something where the connection between inputs and outputs is fairly well recognized. Now, most people don't have mm-hmm. that knowledge, but there's a class of experts that do, and, and all we need to do is tap into that right. class of experts so we can fairly predictably achieve uh, our desired outcome. So just, a, I think, a great example is putting, you know, putting a person on the moon. You and I probably couldn't figure out how to do that, but there's a group of people who We have the vision, uh, but we can hire an MIT expert. We can hire an MIT, right. and there's a team of people, and collectively we can figure out you know, rocket propulsion and the, and the trajectory and so on and so forth, and we can, we can reliably put a person on the moon. So that is a complicated problem. How do we put a person on the moon is a complicated problem. Uh, and there are certainly a number of complicated problems in the world. Um, the distinction between complicated and complex is that a complex problem is one where we don't really understand the relationship between inputs and outputs. Uh, you know, just because something worked before doesn't mean it'll work again. And, and, and frankly, yeah. almost every problem involving people is a complex problem. You know, mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, just a, a simple example, you know, you, you know uh, there may be a time that I say to you, Bart, you know, you've got uh, soup on your tie. And one time you may say thank you. The next time you might punch me in the face, right? And and I don't know why, right? right. right? And because there are there are reasons <laughs> right. going on in your psyche that cause you, in a certain circumstance, and, and, to react in a very and different Bart way. And may not even know previously. why. That's the thing. Might not even know why. Exactly. And so that's at an individual yeah. level. Once you get a collective together, you know, all bets are off. You have no idea how a group of people uh, will will behave. And so the, the problem is that a lot of times people <laughs> will. Uh, will try to treat complex problems as though they were complicated, right? People fail to realize that yes. just because something has happened in the past, you know, we don't, there's, a, there's sort of an arrogance in thinking we understand how a complex system, when in most cases we don't. Uh, you know, the political yeah. environment is perfect for this, you know, but politicians will talk yeah. with this air of certainty as though they understand, you know, if we do X, then Y will happen, and that's nonsense. Uh, you know, these problems are yeah. always complex, and, and I think that's a big part of the work I do is helping leaders recognize complexity and, and help to 
uh, understand the nature of the system. That's frankly the, 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 you know, the biggest difference is that the only way to solve a complex problem is to experiment and to, you know, and to try to under, mm-hmm. the more you understand the nature of a system, the more you can kind of structure safe experiments, right? Experiments that won't kill you. Um, and, uh, or yeah, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in big favor with that. Experiments that don't kill you. Are they? Actually, it's, it is, it's interesting the way you talk about this because for, uh, for those of you who are uh, scholars or, liter- or among the literati who, who enjoy good books, this very uh, problem that Jamie's just attacked is, is addressed by Edgar Allan Poe in uh, the early... 1800s, where he talks about the development of the deductive mind and how one uh, can address the complex versus what he calls the profound, which is a problem. And it is, these are things that uh, take in the human character, and you were dealing in, in human character. And as you say, it's not science, but you also say, and Thus, in your book, you you say, Jamie, that um, leadership is uh, is not science. It is an art requiring that special magic of the individual. So, where lies that leadership artistry? Where do I find it? How do I learn about it? Well, I, I think that is the journey any leader takes. And again, it, it it really builds on this notion we've been talking about that that you know when you're dealing with complexity. The art is in experimentation, is in iteration, is in, you know, sort of sensing and, and, and intuiting. Uh, th- those that that's the art form, and 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 also recognizing, like I said, that just because something worked once, it doesn't mean it'll work again. And and sort of trying to understand, uh, you know, more and more. I think a scientist wants to distill everything down to. Uh, to kind of concrete understanding, and that, and and there's like I said, there's goodness right. to that, but but I think the artist recognizes that uh, you know the world continually shifts, and they're finding ways to express it, and I think that's to me what what makes leadership an art form more than a science. And obviously, if uh, you want to get a collection of individual artists together, uh, there's nothing that beats the peer group. There's there's a part of the scientific method that everyone forgets. It's the last step, and that's that after you have found your concrete solution, you get together and check the, what other scientists have done and other experimenters have done, and that tells you why water boils at 212 in one place but not in the Rocky Mountains. Uh, right. Your group really does seem to be the best the best um, open forum for 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 getting at truth, would that would, would that be fair to say? I think it is, and and you know this this is certainly the the, the premise that I outline in in the book uh, is this notion that you know because the world is becoming uh, increasingly complex, I would argue that that you know the system, if you look at sort of our our leadership system, which includes not just our individual enterprises but our industries, our geopolitical environment, our our physical environment, you know all of the elements that make up. Uh, the business environment, they're getting more and more complex all the time. Nobody can see the entire landscape. And I, I like to look at, I, I like to think of the metaphor of, of leaders standing on top of their respective mountains. You know, and when you stand on top of your mountain, 
you, you can see the valley below, right? You can see the river or the stream uh, right by your mountain, but what you can't see is, is the landscape, you know, behind the next peak. It's, it's blocked. Um, and so what you really need mm-hmm. is to get people that are at the top of, these, all, of all of these mountains together. You know, it's entirely possible there's a wildfire, you know, three mountains over that's sweeping across the prairie. <laughs> right. You have no idea, right? You have no idea. And so, so the value of these peer networks is basically saying, look, okay, I see what I see. Uh, I, I think I understand the entire landscape, but I don't. I'm, I'm humble enough to recognize that I don't. And I want to find a way to get together with the people who are each standing on their own mountain to tap our collective wisdom and, frankly, you know, to challenge our own beliefs. A big part of this comes down to uh, a very simple principle I like to use, which is that our beliefs drive behaviors and behaviors drive right. outcomes. Uh, and I think we all, you know, intuitively understand that in our own yeah, lives. Yeah, well, I think and we so, all basically so, so the, the, right. So, so the point I think is that you know, if you want to change something, whether it's in your life or in your business or in any part of your your, your experience, it's not enough just to, to act differently. You actually have to think differently, and it, and it's very hard hmm. to think differently until you recognize the range of potential things you could think. Right? We sort of you know we we think that our thoughts are 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 are, uh, are fixed, but you know. You know, I think people that we respect and admire often think very differently, and it's helpful to understand why. So that, to me, is the power of the peer group. You know, you get together people that that you know have a similar experience. You know, they they respect each other, they have some commonalities in in the work they do or in the life they lead, um, and yet they may come at a problem or come at a situation with a very different perspective. And so, for me, that's the value of getting getting groups of peers together. I I couldn't agree with you more. I have spent my whole life as a journalist uh going interviewing around the world uh what i call the players the people who have of of high achievement and the one thing i have found is that they all come to it they come to their achievement and their process and their their with attitudes that are totally their own they may use Tech, the, the techniques but they come in with their own ideas it's an it's uh we are we are all personal individuals on, on our own mountain, and so we all—I guess—we all need our own Alpenstocks to, to to holler back and forth to each other, right? Absolutely. <laughs> well, so after this uh, rich and delightful diet of wisdom that Jamie's is serving us uh, so cogently, I might add, uh, I believe it's time for us to take a brief survey and allow me. Uh, to proffer a few utensils for today's feast. And the first utensil, as I always do, allow me to remind each of you hearing my voice that the good Lord has gifted you with the title and privileges of Chief Executive Officer of yourself. And since that's really the most important position you'll ever hold in your career, allow me to ask, will this be the day that you take a little scrutiny of those things you want, would like to have or have happen right now? Or will you continue to insist that today's desires in this short, short life must be forever sacrificed for longer-term goals. The choice, my friend, is truly yours. And as a second uh, utensil, I can sense you yearning to steep your lips into a little laughter and taste a scriptural recitation from the 102 Best Business Quips book. So let me pull it out here right now. And this is, okay, this is number 78. (laughs) Networking is not about being known. It is about being valued. After all, millions of people know the Ponzi schemer Bernie Madoff. <laughs> what do you think, Jamie? Did we get that one right? 
I, well, I, I think that's spot on, and, and, and I, you actually raise an interesting point that, that I think a lot of people miss, and, and it's the difference between networking, and I think you talked about networking, as a verb, yeah. uh, as distinct from networks, and, and that's something that I think people tend to miss uh, – you know, to kind of mis misappreciate or misunderstand about about the work that we yeah. do. Uh, you know, let's uh-huh. be honest. Most people hate networking, right? The idea of networking for most yeah. people well, well, feels well, transactional. Real... Feels in us. It, right, it feels inauthentic. Right. Unless you're a big you're... mouth like my wife's husband, you don't want to do it, right? You don't want to do it, and 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 even if you, even if you uh, you know look uh, certainly any any introvert I've I've known a lot of introverts in my life, and and you know most introverts can't can't stand networking for all the reasons I mentioned. Even extroverts <laughs> I think sometimes wonder whether it's it's uh, just too transactional. You know I, th- I think what's what's interesting, I've, yeah, I've, you know if you think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, uh, w- you know way down low after our our physical and and emotional uh, needs are are met uh, and our you know sort of ba- basic you know need for security, um, it's it's yeah, a sense yeah. of belonging, right? And and I think that that need for belonging yeah. it really is one of our core needs. And I think that that networking oh, truly. Uh, does not satisfy our need for belonging. Uh, networks do, mm. uh, and I think that's the distinction. And I think that's why the design that's of these a groups very good is point. so important. Actually, that's you know, it's I think that is a, an excellent distinction you've made there, uh, Jamie. Is that? Uh, that in, and in fact, I'm going to call this a quill pen moment. That is, Jamie's just spoken a timeless truth. So I would like you all to take out your pens, dip them in the inkwell, and jot this timeless truth down. Is that networking may not satisfy your needs for belonging, that is, on the acceptance scale. But a good network will indeed, and it's worth joining. So I'm really glad you said that. And as my own personal afterthought to the to this silly little quip here is that it's just amazing isn't it amazing how value gets placed on the shoulder of that individual who takes time to listen to me and seems to find me absolutely fascinating? <laughs> just I don't know, just a thought. Anyway, if you smirked a bit over that silly quip uh, we've got them literally by the books full. Just visit bartsbooks.com and pick up your copy of 102 or the 101 Best Business Quips book, and you will find your tongue uh, loosing barbs and zingers of humor dipped truth that uh, will have all your fellow chain gangers at work hanging on your every mama. And as a third utensil, we sumptuously spoon to you the answer to last week's business quotation that is, the name of the individual who said, I will not be a common man. I will stir the sands of smooth monotony. (laughs) Advice for us all. Those words were spoken by none other than the consummate actor and individualist like the roles he played, Mr. Peter O'Toole. Congratulations, all you winners. And um, and stick with us because later on in the show, Blurting Your Way, comes another enriching quotation. And if you're among the learned souls who knows the author of that quote, simply scribble that sage's name down as you believe him or her to be and email it right off to info at bartsbooks.com. And if you are correct, your knowledge will earn you a mind, soul, and career-igniting gift, freshly disemboweled from the dungeons of Bart's Books Bookstore. And before we return to the peerless Mr. Jamie Miller, our guiding Virgil through the world of executive peer groups, allow me to introduce to you the company by whose good graces we are here today, and that firm is Prometheus Publishing, who invites you to take good scrutiny of their latest volume, a gem of a book entitled CEO of Yourself. 
It's a volume about getting down to the business of your more rewarding life. And briefly, let me just ask you, my friend, who is making your life choices? Are you directing the enterprise of you, or have you fallen into default mode? And is this governance bringing you really the more fulfilling life that you just know? You know lies out there. Well, CEO of yourself helps you discover the many marvelous assets and employ them toward goals that bring you a sense of mastery and a lot more fun. But I've got to give you one little caveat here. CEO of yourself is not for the lazy and it's not for weaklings. It makes you stand up and makes you use the model of chief executing officer. And it makes you form such things as principles and form your own character and sculpt yourself into the effective kind of person you want to be for an exhilarating life. So there you go, my friend. Uh, if you're one of those, pick up your copy of CEO of Yourself. Just visit bartsbooks.com. Grab your copy uh, this instant after you complete hearing this show. Carpe diem, my friend. You're worth it. And now, with utensils in hand, let's return to Jamie Miller, CEO, uh, I'm sorry, founding president of Skybridge Associates and uh, the P, uh, peer builder par excellence and author of the definitive book on the subject, Building Bridges. Jamie, uh, let's, uh, we, we've agreed that you need the peer group. We see some of the benefits. So let's delve inside, if we may. How do you design, many people can gather can gather together likes of their own. How do you design a peer group that works? If I asked you to set up a at a group of uh, executives in, say, publishing, and that's, that's hurting Coy, uh, what might be the parameters? How would you go about it? Sure. Well, I, look, I, I think that the key, first of all, is to find a group that is the right size. And that sounds trivial, but it really isn't. Uh, you know, when we talk about peer groups, we're really talking about a private club. Uh, and you want about right. 20 people typically in a group like that. You know, I, I think in my experience, not to get uh, in the weeds of this, but, you know, you normally get about two-thirds of any group that attends uh, a particular meeting uh, just because of schedule sure. and so forth. And so, and so you know, you, if, you, if you have a group of about 20, you typically have, you know, in the neighborhood of 14 13, 14 that will attend the meeting, which is about the right size. You know, if, it, if it's too few people, mm-hmm. you don't really get the richness of, of discussion that we've talked about. If it's too large, people talk at each other instead of talking with each other. And, yeah. and you know, just the, the setting yeah, yeah. is not conducive. So, so, what, so the first thing is, is you, you, you start with an expectation that, that it's going to be about 20 people. Um, and, then, and then within that, you have a lot of leeway. Uh, you know, it could be a group uh, that's purely local. So, you know, for, for smaller uh, companies or, or mid-market companies, Companies, there may be 20 peers within a given geographic area. Uh, I've done a lot of work with with um, companies that are you know world leaders, and and in fact, what they find is that within their city, there may only be two or three uh, peer companies, and so they have to make it a in some cases a national or even a larger group. group right. In the past, that had people flying in from London and New York and San Francisco and Chicago, you know, for meetings because that was the only way to get. 20 people who saw themselves as peers that were sort of in similar roles right, and similar right. organizations. Uh, but, but again, many people will find a peer group locally. So I think one of the first questions is, you know, for my cohort, you know, are there enough locally or do I need to go more broadly? Um, and then I think the question really gets down to uh, a whole set of design questions. You know, is it about the job title? Is it about the tenure in the role? Is it about, you know, age? There's a whole host of sort of uh, factors that one might use in designing it. But but like I said, really what you're trying to do is you're trying to get a group of people who see each other as having a common 
set of experiences where everybody has something to teach and everybody has something to learn. Uh, I think that ultimately is the is the kind right. of respect that you're looking for. Um, so so that's the first. I think that's that good. Learn. And but what about the the logistics? I mean, you've got that. Let's say I I I you you got the common thread. You got your your invite list and so forth. Uh, and I assume it is an invitation only thing, but. Um, uh, what about the logistics? Because there's there's several models. I mean, do you want to have a speaker? Do you want to have a discussion theme? Uh, do you fix memberships? And what's a good number of meeting times? And what are some of the logistics when you say, okay, I've got my theme? Uh, take us through how you design it from there. Sure. So, uh, and I, look, I think every group will be slightly different, and and this is the beauty of it. There's no sure. one size fits all, like like so many things in life. You know, um, in general, what I find is that about three times a year works well. I know there are some groups that will meet monthly, and 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 that's fine, particularly for local groups. Any group where people are traveling, that's usually yeah. too much. Um, and so, sure, what, what sure. I'll typically do is, is, for most of my groups, uh, is have people meet three times a year, uh, usually. You know, kind of the model that works well for us is kind of three to six in the afternoon. We'll have kind of a round table, kind of a formal session, and then we'll break and have a nice dinner together. So, you know, we, we may spend six hours together, but half of it formal, half of it informal, which sort of gives you that opportunity. I'm a big believer that the power of any meeting, or really the value of any meeting, uh, is is uh, created long before people get in the room. And so it really is the preparation that makes uh-huh. all the difference. Um, and so okay. you know, it, it, it involves spending time with the people in advance, understanding what their issues are, and coming in with a real agenda, not just shooting the bull for, you know, six hours, yeah. uh, but r- really having a plan. Um, and, and by the way, trust... So you do have a discussion that's... theme? Do you have a formal oh, discussion gosh, yeah. theme and the, and the people yeah. coming in know about it? Always, always, always. In fact, we usually put together okay, a bespoke okay. white paper. You know, we'll, we'll put together some some materials that oh. help everyone get on the same page and they understand what the questions are. Uh, and you know, look, there are some groups who who really want speakers. Uh, you know, I've got a group of corporate board directors who really find it helpful to to you know be exposed to new ideas. We've talked about blockchain. We've talked about a whole bunch of kind of out there ideas. Um, but for many of the executive groups. They, their view is, look, I can get a briefing on a, on a topic anytime I want. What I don't get much of is time together with peers. And so most groups that I lead, yeah. frankly, tend to tend to prefer most of their time just talking with one another, uh, you know, in an active discussion, mm-hmm. not, not mm-hmm. listening passively to someone else. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, just, uh, one of the things you talk about um, – I'm wondering about diversity, particularly of professions. Uh, by sheer chance, we, uh, I and an attorney and a recruiter have started a, a group called the Accomplished Professionals Breakfast, and it, it, it has uh, it's working well. We've got people, it's, but it's, it has bankers, it has uh, fund creators, non-profit founders, authors, even some pompous old uh, radio host. Uh, and uh, they're all at an advanced level. Is 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 uh, what is your take on, I guess, diversity of professions? You know, I think as long as people see each other as peers, that's all that matters. And, and again, peers doesn't have I to see. mean that everyone has the same profession, right? You know, you, the, the point you right. made, everyone was at an advanced level. I think that that advanced level made you peers, right? The, and and mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. the fact that you all respect each other and think you have something to learn. That's adequate. What you don't want is, you know, you wouldn't want a 22-year-old and a, and a, and a 75-year-old necessarily uh, who might who might have right. very different uh, sort of, you know, uh, you know, I guess issues to bring to a group and might not really see each other sure. as peers. Now, Jamie, I, I hate to say we're, we're 
I, there's so I have so many more questions I want to get out of here. But if uh, obviously I can't do it, uh, so uh, if I am looking to join a peer group or I need to uh, be in a top-notch one and I want and I want to form one, how can I get in touch with Skybridge Associates and and get more of of your fine guidance? Well, look, we'd, we'd love to talk with anyone. Uh, the best bet is to go to our website, which is uh, skybridge.associates, uh, www.skybridge.associates. Uh, there's, uh, I think all of what we're talking about and more is it's certainly in the book, and, and uh, Building Bridges, the case for executive peer networks, is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, you know, BN.com, uh, all of the usual mm-hmm. platforms. It's available in uh, both ebook and physical copy and also an audio book. So if if uh, if your your listeners can stand listening to my voice for an hour, it's a it's a very brief book. It's only sixty pages, and the audio runs about an hour. And so uh, we try to keep it concise. Uh, so so uh, certainly people can can read the material, go to our website, uh, and we'd love to hear from folks. That's excellent. And I was gonna just just say goodbye, but I, I guess that you said something to me when we talked earlier, and I gotta get it out. I gotta get it out. You said one of the the best, the most vital tool for the network's leader, the best thing he can she can ever quiver, is to give a damn about the people who are there to serve. Uh, elaborate on that. Would you just tell me what what tools a good a good uh, network uh, person would put together, uh, former would would have? Sure. So, so I think I think this idea of giving a damn is critical. I think you have to be serving serving the group and be interested in the group. If you're not interested in the people that you're working with, it, it makes it very difficult to lead a group uh, of, of uh, senior people. Uh, but beyond that, there are, I like to talk about the seven C's, and in the case uh-huh. that, that I think really make for a great network leader, uh, and those are uh, that the person should be creative, connected, mm-hmm. candid, courageous, collaborative confident and credible. Uh, so I think mm-hmm. as long as you've got a network leader that, that embodies those those seven qualities, uh, and by the way, gives it to him, uh, I think you've got a great, right. a great leader. For so I, I, you pretty much excluded all of Congress and government, but go ahead. <laughs> I would like to say that was intentional. I, I think it's probably subconscious. <laughs> Very sad, but so. Oh, Jerry, I, I'm going to have to have you come back and and. and uh, delve a little deeper into this, I think, and uh, perhaps we could could sometime talk about one, uh, one or two of your groups without betraying any confidences, and tell and find a little bit more about how things work, and particularly how uh, I could set one up for my clients. I'd love to find out about that. And no, so I thank you for coming on, and uh, you really have enlightened us. Thank you so much, Jamie. Well, thank you, Bart. It's been a been a lot of fun. Okay. Well, uh, so today as we round out uh, our Feast of Wisdom, I am Bart Jackson, your curator of business wisdom, leaving you with today's business quotation. That is, who was the individual who said, money, it turned out, was exactly like sex. You thought of nothing else if you didn't have it, and you thought of other things if you did. (laughs) Uh, And as a hint, uh, the author of this quote, well, he was an esteemed author, in of many books and was a knife-edged accurate critic of America's bizarre racial, sexual, and social mores and and he authored Nobody Knows My Name. And remember if you know the author of this quote, simply scribble that author's name down as you believe him or her to be. Send it right off to info at bartsbooks.com that's I-N-F-O at bartsbooks.com to win a, to win a, a 
totally life-changing gift from the dungeons of Bart's Books Bookstore. And be sure to tune in next week to the Art of the CEO radio show as we chat uh, with serial board director and chair of numerous Fortune 500 companies, Mr. Mike Marty, as he spins true entertaining tales and takeaway from the life of the boardroom. Some sure fun and revelation. And as a parting shot, in the words of my wife's husband, the only common thread uniting millennial business folks is their unanimous annoyance at being foolishly lumped into a single category. <laughs> and to you, gleefully sharing our feast, I hope you've enjoyed the Art of the CEO show as much as Jamie and I have enjoyed bringing it to you. And remember, you may download this and all our shows at theartoftheceo.com. And finally, to you, who have honored us with your time, may I say as always, it has been a privilege, and I thank you.